Unconscious Bias Project. Hi everyone, hola a todos, Lynette and Alexis here. Your co-hosts, both she, her, bringing you impactful stories and interviews from our communities to you. We have our favorite people come on to this pod and share their experiences, viewpoints, and the topics that matter most to them so that we can all support each other and make change. All right. So before we kick off, uh, I'd like to tell everyone to go and learn more about the Ohlone people and the current Shell Mound protests to support their life, heritage, and rights. The Unconscious Bias Project is based in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, which is unceded ancestral homeland belonging to the Ramaytush Ohlone and Muwekma Ohlone peoples. Support our work and support theirs too. Hi, you two. How's it going? Hi, Alexis. Hi, Seth. Hey, Lynette. Hello, Alexis. It's going. It's going. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we're finally getting some rain. Yeah, right? Uh, weather, weather, small talk. <laughs> I just want to curl up in bed and watch movies all day. But that's me. Um, I did have something in mind, actually. Do you've got something on your mind? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What's on your mind? Well, I've been thinking about, and this might surprise you, language. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. To hear that there's going to be something about language in this podcast. Do you think about language? We never do that on this podcast or in our entire personal lives. I mean, uh, sorry, not this podcast, this um, casual conversation between friends who really love language and who totally are not aware that we're being recorded right now. Why are you thinking about language, Lynette? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I have a kid who's growing up learning multiple languages which is actually more common than we think in the States. And, you know, I run into a lot of weird people's reactions about it. It's just like more frequent than I expected. I would say it's my turn to be shocked, but really not uh, because I was raised, well, starting to be raised bilingual and I ran into the same similar issues of people feeling uncomfortable about uh, when we were out in public and my mom was speaking to me in Spanish. And, and and eventually it just got so uncomfortable that uh, my mom stopped teaching me Spanish. Oh shit! Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear about your experience, Lynette. Yeah, it's really. Um, I want to use the word funny, but it's not funny because it's actually awful. Because I mean, I didn't know that was your story, but I know several friends um, whose parents spoke Spanish and they just stopped because of similar, like why are you speaking that language and you know and like the whole anti-spanish and california stuff but that's for another day yeah i think the the comment that strikes me the most is that um sometimes people come to me and ask oh you know i can i see that you're speaking in spanish and also english is your kid a little slow on reading or you know it's like well one excuse me <laughs> mind your own business <laughs> but uh yeah that that's the thing that that they keep coming back to i've been met with uh you're in america you know you we speak english here kind of kind of statements mm -hmm, as well yeah and you mean like despite the fact that studies show that bilingual kids tend to have better abstract thinking are better at sorting relevant 
uh, versus irrelevant information and have an easier time understanding math concepts and solving word problems. And just for the listeners listening to this segment, there is a link in the description about this article that gives that data. I mean, the article that you just pulled off the top of your head? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, actually, I didn't know all of those bits, so I'm definitely going to read that article. And there's also the other thing that I've heard, which is this like, and I hate to say it because I feel like just talking about it cements it in people's heads, <laughs> but the actually debunked word gap theory, which is one gazillion percent racist and classist. The language classism about the like the word gap theory and everything like that, it gets me so angry when people are are so like classist about like languages and which languages are better than others. And, you know, it's I hate classism. Love the classics, though. I am a classicist. And it's weird because, right, I used to be a Latin teacher. And so people always expect me to be in the super classist camp, to be really prescriptivist, really like there's right and wrong language and there's good and bad language. And, and it's, it's, you know, smart and not and stupid language. People seem to think that there is, you know, that stuff couldn't be further from the truth when we look at bilingualism, when we look at various registers and code switching and all of that, there's so much diversity in language and so much to be gained from it, uh, despite people's very frustratingly strong opinions about what is right and wrong. This sounds like a whole lot of linguistic discrimination based on language, which is pretty frequently a topic around accents and stigmatized accents wherever it's by national origin, regional origin, or class origin, which really, do people think people want to learn more about all of that? Wait, you think people might want to learn more about that? Because I was actually thinking the same thing. I was suspecting that a lot of our listeners would want to know more about linguistic discrimination and all of this. Huh. I wonder what we do to like help them out. Well, we could probably share with them this chat that we had with Megan Figueroa and Carrie Gillen, also known as the Vocal Fries. They run that favorite podcast of ours all about linguistic discrimination. And we talked about all this and more, I believe. Seth, dear editor of ours, do you think you could slice us over to that interview? I think that we can. And here we go. I want to start cueing the music and off to the episode. And now a warm welcome to not one, but two wonderful human beings and friends of the pod from ages ago. Um, and stellar podcasters, doctors Megan Figueroa and Carrie Gillen, both she, her. Dr. Carrie Gillen is a linguist and the Language Commission Coordinator for the Squamish Nation with a long-standing interest in the indigenous languages of North America. More on that in a little bit. She is also the author of The Semantics of Determiners and co-author of Nanaman Let me start that piece on the writing. Mm -mm -mm. She is also the author of The Semantics of Determiners and the co-author of Nominal Contact in Michif, 
a book about language contact for an endangered Canadian language. Carrie is one half of the dynamic duo behind Vocal Fry's podcast, which directly tackles linguistic discrimination. Dr. Megan Figueroa is a developmental psycholinguist and research scientist at the Tweedy Language Development Lab at the University of Arizona, where she studies language development in children. She also, nice tidbit here, started the Scholars to Read in the Field of Language database to help folks find traditionally marginalized scholars in language research. She is the other half of the dynamic duo of Vocal Prize with Carrie. So everybody, break out your jazz hands for a warm welcome to our fabulous guests. Woohoo! Can you hear them? <laughs> jazz hands? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering what, what song I'm supposed to imagine with Jan, jazz hands. Is there supposed to be a jazz song associated with it? I've never oh. really thought about it. Yeah, I think any any song you want. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Anything that makes you feel good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're so happy to be here. Yeah. Hey. I spoiled it a little bit, but please tell us about Vocal Fries. How would you describe it to someone you just met on the street? <laughs> um, Megan, do you want to take this? Uh, sure. I would describe the Vocal Fries, um, the podcast, not the vocal fries as a me and Carrie, um, <laughs> which, which were awesome in the podcast is too. I would describe it as a podcast about all the ways that we're, that people can be an asshole about language. Um, and our tagline is don't be an asshole. Um, so it, it's kind of introducing people to ways that they are unknowingly, sometimes people are knowingly do this doing this but we don't imagine that they would care to listen to our podcast um people that are unknowingly discriminating against people because of the way that they speak or sign or communicate um and it's i mean carrie and i are both linguists and this is just you know something we've trained for <laughs> um it's something that's really important to us uh because that's you know the field of linguistics is about um, how language is used by people and doesn't try to prescribe how people should use language because there's no right way to use language, but there's a lot of people who think there is. Yeah. So um, when we first talked about this, I was missing being in the classroom. So I wanted to actually, you know, yeah, ex do what linguists do, explain, you know, what language actually is. And I realized uh, at that time, especially, that a lot of people were just being assholes about language and I, mostly unknowingly. And I just thought if, if I had, if I was doing this, I would want to know, I would want to know that I was being an asshole and that we did, I didn't have to be an asshole. And so that was kind of the reason that uh i thought we should talk about it and also at the time vocal fry everyone was talking about vocal fry constantly and just being real jerks about <laughs> about women speaking and um not seeming to realize just how sexist that was so that's why i thought we should create this podcast yeah and it's nice because carrie asked me to do this with her and it's nice to have two people because we are able to 
talk with each other and talk with our guests about how we too are people that are still learning and growing. Um, and I think that kind of makes it, you know, we don't want to, you know, be people that are trying to make other people feel bad. We just want people to be thoughtful and introduce them to other ways of thinking about how other people communicate, how they communicate. Um, and, you know, we admit when we are like, yeah, I was really into the idea that I knew the difference between, you know, two, two and two, right? Uh, there was a time where I was correcting people and, you know, now I wouldn't dare because I don't, there's no, it's not important. <laughs> it's really not important. So, yeah, it, um, it reminds me of because I was a Latin teacher, people expect me to have very prescriptivist views. And so they expect me to be like, to have very strong views about the Oxford comma, for instance. And I'm always like, I have very, I don't have strong views about the Oxford comma. I have strong views about strong views about the same, Oxford comma. Same. <laughs> it drives me I'm so crazy when people are like, Yes, I, obviously you'll care about that. Yeah, same thing. People think I'm going to care about the Oxford com comma, and I've, I, I wasn't trained to use it. We just, it's it, not a thing in so much in, uh, well, I guess in certain fields it's a thing, and then in certain countries it's more of a thing. But I was just taught if you need to use it, use it, and if you don't need to use it, don't. And <laughs> so I just, I've never cared. I think it's generational too because I was taught to use it. And no. No, I don't think so. Because Nick wasn't, and we both grew up in the Phoenix area. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so I think, yeah, it, it could just be like, really, you know, it just depends on the school district, maybe, or the teacher, the individual yes. teacher, right? Because there's actually no rhyme or reason for why one way is better or the other, because writing is artificial. This is a human um, construction. The actual language that we use with our bodies um, is not that's that's natural but writing is not natural so everything is made well everything is made up anyway but these are rules that are made up and carrie isn't it something with latin that basically we put it on pedestal and people would say you know don't end a sentence with a preposition because of latin yeah but this is actually i'm not sure if the preposition thing is actually ultimately because of latin maybe i can't remember now um but uh the comma thing isn't has nothing to do with it. It's right. Just, yeah, um, yeah. Those are unrelated. Yeah, but that's why it's funny that someone would think just because you're a Latin teacher you'd care about that. Um, but no, Latin was really put up on a pedestal as like the elite uh, spoke Latin. The rule, you know, the ruling class is going to speak Latin. And again, there's no reason that la people that spoke Latin would be better at ruling or that they should, you know, be comfortable and and housed when other people, you know, shouldn't. Uh, oh yeah. So yeah. I am all yeah, people expect that just because I'm a classics nerd that uh I have these very strong conservative and frankly classist and racist views about language purity. Yep, and I feel like people should like um you know, just take a moment and and it should give them some pause when you think about like language purity anyway, because it's not a coincidence that we use things like purity and uh, impoverished language or, um, you know, quality language. All of these words have, you know, ideologies behind them that are classist, racist, etc. 
Yeah, no, I've gotten way too into like, oh, no, I have to read like all of these people that linguistic anthropologists read because uh, the words we use shape ideologies. And, you know, so I'm like, yeah, there's a reason why we call it impoverished language or rich language input. Right. <laughs> and then we tie it to being rich in real life or being, you know, below the poverty line or whatever. So these words are like tied to the, the greater context of society. I love words and they're all made up though. I always think about that. Like, you know, I'm thinking uh, like uh, Lynette, you probably, uh, you have some thoughts on this too, but like with Latinx or Latine, people get so upset and it's like, those are made up words. And I'm like, every word <laughs> is made up, you know, like if, if we're going to go down that route, I don't know if you, you want to, cause you're not going to win this argument. <laughs> so yeah, it's like they didn't put up a fight when we reused, like, uh, there's this term that we use in Colombia, especially in Bogota, which is like fresca, and it means fresh. And so when you're telling, when somebody's like, for example, you bump into somebody and, or they bump into you and they're super apologetic, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. You're like, fresca, fresca, it's fine. Nobody was up in arms because we repurposed a word for something else. Nobody is up in arms when you have to like figure out what, you know, how to describe the internet, right? Or that we're using words from other languages. Like, yeah, I, I love that like language, like it's all made up anyways. So, and by, by humans, <laughs> like I'm not saying that, you know, it, yeah. it is a very natural thing. Um, and the fact that I guess like our podcast would come in and say, you really need to question why some of these words are making you so uncomfortable because it's not about the word. It is about what the word is a proxy for. So if something like Latine, you know, that's a proxy for, you know, um, gender, a uh, freedom of like gender expression and, you know, like um, trans rights and, uh, you know, all of that, that's what it is. And so when you're uncomfortable with that word, I, really would want you to stop and think about why that is well that one was introduced by by women because um women weren't being represented by the language so it, you might say actually it's a proxy for women's rights yeah yeah absolutely for all of those things i think well um so i think it started really with like doing the at sign so having like latino latina and then having like the dash and then have an at sign because it was kind of like um you know, we're going to start including more people in this because it's right now it's the, you know, it's just male, female binary, um, which is not a dichotomy that people actually live in, <laughs> you know, so um, it expanded certainly uh, to for women to feel more included in in the language. Well, um, Remy gives us a song about Pizza the Hut. I want to ask a question because I've, um, I mean, I can't claim to say I listened to the first episode when it came out, but I've <laughs> been listening to y'all for some time and I'm curious, sort of looking back in your 120 plus episodes, how has your podcast changed or maybe hasn't changed um, since you started it? Um, I think it, it, we've gotten a lot 
looser. Um, we were, you know, much more worried about uh, doing a bunch of research ahead of time. And now we, and, I mean, unless it's just the two of us, we let the uh, guest explain things to us a lot more, I think. Because we learn yeah. along with the listeners then. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think we, oh, I was going to say that I think we've stayed the same in that Harry and I are still like the ones behind it. And so that means that we don't have to, we don't compromise any of our values um, with it. And I, I like that freedom that we've had and still have. Um, yeah. Like we pulled an episode that we record or we, there was an episode we recorded that we never aired. Because we were like, we don't want to propagate in, like some of the stuff this person said. Um, yeah, and I feel like, yeah, yeah. And we would do it again um, if that happened. And we would certainly, if we learned something about a past guest, although we have such wonderful guests. Um, but if we did find out something about a past guest, we would absolutely, you know, address that. Yeah. It's just, it's nice to say con very consistent to, or, you know, stick with your values because there's no other people that are defining uh, how the podcast looks or sounds or whatever. Yeah. And speaking of, there was someone, I guess, who did try to control. Yeah. <laughs> and so we pulled that one too. But that was more because of the shenanigans after the fact, as opposed to anything that he said to us. Like everything he said was lovely, and I I'm still kind of sad that we couldn't we don't have that one up because I think it was like actually a good episode, but he was just too controlling. So, <laughs> and I it's like okay, we are two women that are doing all of this, and women podcasters are still um, very much <laughs> in the minority of it. And it just Harry pointed out to me that you know he was definitely trying to take advantage of two women, you know, assert his, his, uh, dominance because toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, and it's really hard for me to remember that sometimes because I'm so in it still. And I think that's again, why it's nice that we've changed to like learning with listeners, because then I'm like, when someone, when one of our guests brings up something, I can be like, you know, Oh, wow. I, you know, never thought of that or, you know, and I think that that again is, a way to show that we're not trying to be judgy about you. We all can be more thoughtful and we're all learning together. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that we really strive to talk about whether we're doing our workshops or we're doing the podcast is like, you know, we talk all the time about how, Lynette and I will sometimes message each other on Slack and say like, P.S., you got some spinach in your teeth right now. Like, and we're, we try to be very transparent about that, about like, yeah, we hold it. We have to like hold each other accountable and like keep, keep learning all the time too. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. A tidbit for y'all. I don't know how many listeners out there uh, still remember our baby days. Um, we actually learned from Vocal Fries directly on how to podcast. 
I was like, I remember my, I, the recording with y'all, I think was my first ever podcast that was ever invited to. I remember being so nervous and like recognizing how quickly I was speaking (laughs) as I was speaking. I was like, oh, I'm so nervous. Um, but you made it such like a fun experience and you were really open and, and welcoming and, that was such an inspiration that when we did decide to start podcasting, it was like an obvious choice to ask y'all for support. And you really did. And look where we are now. We're podcasting for several years. We're still, you know, babies in the in the world of podcasting. But um, it's it's awesome to have had y'all as as people um, to learn from and and to watch and being open. I mean, we just just talked about this in a, in a workshop, but when leaders in the field, people that are recognized set and model what it's like to be surprised, to not be an expert, to make mistakes, to be open and vulnerable. And to be honest, it really does set the tone for other people. So Mm -hmm. I just want to give you all some some love. Yeah. And I, I don't feel, I mean, certainly I, uh, you know, I admire Carrie so much. So like, I, I, like all of this is just who we are. And so if you are, if you're like wondering if when the microphone is off and Carrie's different or me perhaps, or, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm just the same person, but yeah, it, she's not like, this is who we are. And so we are giving ourselves out to the world with podcasting and you all are too. And it's like very a vulnerable experience. That's another thing that has changed. I'm less scared, but I still have moments where I'm like, oof, we really put ourselves out there. Um, it was horrifying at the beginning. I don't know if you felt as horrified, Carrie, but I was just scared. <laughs> yeah. And you and y'all too. Like it's like my voice is out there and it's recorded for like ever (laughs) the internet has it um but yeah that's why it's important to stick to your values i think too because then you can be like proud of what you put out there yeah it's it's definitely been interesting for me getting used to like right when so lynette did the first few episodes as the only host and then was like hey if you're going to be my co-director of the project you should be hosting this thing with me um and i was like i don't know i'm so scared because i know how my voice comes across over the phone because i know how people misgender me over the phone and so it was very terrifying to put my voice out there at first because of that i think oh go on yeah just like literal voice it's yeah it's terrifying absolutely Carrie and I are a little protected from it. Uh, we've talked about this, how no one complains about our vocal fry. Because <laughs> we're like, don't do it. Don't you dare say anything about our voices. Because <laughs> this is what our podcast is all about. Um, they say other terrible things. Trolls do. But they do not say anything about our voices. Our literal voices. Well, that's good. Um, now, so out of curiosity... Do either of you slash each of you have, by the way, my favorite word lately has been the word each. Um, uh, do each of you have like a dream guest in an, in a like 
if you could have any guests in the world. We've had some really neat guests lately. That's another thing that's changed, I guess, with more like episodes under our belt. Um, you can get people that you didn't really think you could. Um, like Mara Wilson <laughs> from, uh, you know, Matilda. Uh, we interviewed her and that was really cool. Um, oh, I know. Oh, you got one? Haggard Hawks. Oh, my God. I've asked him twice yeah. now and he has not responded. But oh. I think he would be so amazing to have on. Yes. <laughs> Who I mean, is that? Yeah. So it's, the, the Twitter account is Haggard Hawks. His real name is Paul something. I'm sorry. I've already forgotten his name. But um, he's this uh, UK podcaster, Twitterer. Um, he posts like really, like really weird words and their etymologies. Like this is a word from, you know, this era. And he explains them and he's very funny and his pot, he has a podcast called yes or BS. And he and his podcasting partner tried it. Like they'll tell this wild story and the other person has to guess whether it's true or BS. And they're both very charming and they're both from Northern England. And so they have like, you know, stigmatized accents and particularly Paul does um, from the UK. And I just think it'd be fun to talk to him about language and also his particular variety and how he's been treated. He has talked about it a little bit on other podcasts. But anyway, that's, that's one of the people I think would be fun to have on. <laughs> that's an awesome, that would be so awesome. I didn't know you asked him twice already. One day, yeah, I mean, I've like sent him mes <laughs> uh, messages through his website. So oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> I realize I know who I would like to have is um, I've thought about this before is Christian Shaw, who voices Louise Belcher on Bob's Burgers. And, um, you know, that's not the only thing she's ever done. She's done so much, but she often talks about her voice. And, you know, um, I, I like it's it's distinctive. It's very, very distinctive and how she's made a career um, with her voice, because if we were, you know, if people were being you know, judgy, perhaps you'd think how in the world would she ever get work in this business, in the business of show business. Um, but she's, she has, and she, you know, what is it? Oh my gosh. Flight of the Concords. Like, I think that's the first place I ever saw her. Um, I think like, I first saw her on the daily show. Oh, that's right. Was that, I guess that must've been like simultaneously. She was doing both of those things. I don't know. Or no, Maybe. before, I don't know. But yeah, no, I, w I just think it'd be really cool. And, um, I guess adjacent to that, I'd really like to just have um, H. John Benjamin, too, because that's the most iconic voice I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> that's true. Bob Belcher and Archer. Um, her voice And home, home videos way back in the day. Oh gosh, he played right. like three or four different roles on that show. Yes. He was the very first voice actor who I actually knew. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know, because you don't really, I mean, you know, I guess we don't really think about voice actors, or maybe like none of them become that famous, but his voice is just, I think, iconic. And also he uh, uh, he was the void for last week tonight with John Oliver. I just oh, that's right. Yeah. So, no, his, you know, his voice is, is pretty recognizable, just like Kristen Schaal's is. And I think that that's always interesting to talk to people about, um, especially in a podcast like ours, where we really are not being judgmental about it we just really want to know what it's been like so that we can share that experience with others 
amazing. I really hope that you can get all of those people <laughs> eventually too. at some point. <laughs> yes. We've actually had one of our um someone who listens to the show who was like, hey, I actually work on Bob's Burgers and they they invited me and Carrie to do a table to a table reading. I completely ever... forgot about that. Forgot, what? Carrie? I completely forgot. <laughs> Just every day. I'm like, one day we're gonna get to LA again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep. We'll let you know if it happens. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. I don't even care if it is zooming in. Like if some of them are zooming, it's just like it would be such a cool experience. But yeah. Oh yeah. I'm obviously Bob's Burgers is on my mind because it's really helped me during COVID. I've watched it a lot. So <laughs> returning a little bit more to your your academic expertise as opposed to your your podcast expertise, which certainly obviously overlaps. Um so uh you know as as we've discussed i am also a language nerd um and uh when we first started talking um we got into this conversation about um you know perceptions of people and language and we started talking about the word gap for folks who are listening i'm making the uh ominous quote uh uh fingers da, da, da. <laughs> uh, the word gap this is a thing that is on in in varying uh degrees of awareness for a lot of people um megan what what is ominous fingers the word gap yeah so it's this like preposterous idea that people that are higher on the socioeconomic ladder are going to direct a higher quantity and quality of language to their children than um, people that are uh, lower on this you know, socioeconomic ladder. And of course, when you, we look at that, and I think we really should be talking about this more is uh, the idea of caste. When we're looking at the socioeconomic ladder, it is very much inseparable from racialization processes. So the reason why, you know, like there are uh, much more Anglo people that have intergenerational wealth is not because they're smarter or better. It's because of, you know, racism. And so the idea that one group, this higher uh, um, socioeconomic group does this means that we're saying that white people do language better and raise their children better with language. And it's preposterous because children develop the language that is around them um, and you do not have to teach your child language but it, it's the idea that there's a better way to do to raise a child for their language development and it's based in norms like um, anglo linguistic middle class norms um, and it, it all comes from this 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 study um, so 30 million words were projected to be the words that um, lower uh, socioeconomic uh, children would hear by the time they were four years old. Um, and it's just like a really shitty study, too, because that number is extrapolated. And a lot of people don't tell you that. So that's not a directly observed number. They just extrapolate it. And also, um, isn't it based on like six families or something like that? 
It sure is, Carrie. <laughs> so the what a wonderful representative sample. Yeah, I'm sure. There's so, nothing statistically wrong with that. Oh, no, and, nothing. And they're all black. <laughs> so quote unquote welfare families, six of them, and they were all black. And they don't once mention how we need to talk about class and race and why they're inseparable and why it's a problem that we're making that they were making generalizations without discussing that at all. There was only one family, black family, and the most they called professional families. So this is completely about, yeah, they conflate, conflate um, socioeconomic status and race. And so it's just horrifying and it's still going on today. And in fact, I just read a very recent article about how they're so absurd that children in the NICU are experiencing language deprivation because they are not getting uh, the quantity and quality of language they need to develop. I'm, I'm sorry, in the NICU, which yes. is basically replicating the womb where you wouldn't really be hearing that much language. I mean, you yes. hear some, but yes. <laughs> what? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, who are these people and where planet did they come from? I don't know. I Sometimes know. I'm wondering if we're like, <laughs> yeah, are we even the, from the same species? Sometimes. I know. Well, it's like, am I being <laughs> gaslit? Because like, sometimes I'm like, I am I wrong? That doesn't last very long. It lasts like 0.1 second, <laughs> you know, like, because it's so absurd. I'm like, am, am I the one that's just like off base here? Because why are so many people saying these things? And now they keep pushing it further back. Right. So now in the NICU, they're claiming language deprivation which is just horrifying because if you look at the history of um, science and psychology and all of this, um, we would often, we, the, the, uh, the field of science would often discuss black families and their language as language deprivation and cultural deprivation because it wasn't good enough. And so the fact that we're returning to this language of language deprivation, which is absolutely not true, um, it's, it's horrifying to me. And I'm seeing a lot of this return to <laughs> You know, like race-based, so like race science and eugenics and and all of that in this. And again, just like bottom line, the idea that you can like unlock language development better for your child by speaking the right words at them, because sign language is completely erased. So speaking the right words at them is just preposterous. It's it's not based in fact, in scientific fact, at least. <laughs> it is wild to me how many myths there are out there about how kids learn language like there are so many times where just like i'll be hanging out with people and like they'll you know do the thing where they get really upset because a three-year-old used the word catched instead of caught and they're like no we have to drill this in we have to make sure that they learn it it's like they're gonna yep. learn it just yeah, give worry. it a second. Just give it one second. <laughs> one second. And actually using catch <laughs> is really freaking clever. Like that is just development. That is problem solving. That's how we should think of it because that's what it is. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it because guess what? Some people that are adults actually use catch because it's part of their variety of English. Well, that's not going to convince people. They're gonna think that right. that's, that's just proof that <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. But, but people listen now to I'm this. Like, I want to know more. No, yeah, like um, some southern varieties. Um, my my mom has some that uses the ed on some of verbs that people here in Arizona, where I am now, might not have grown up with. Um, yeah, it's 
at least in oh, the US, wow. certainly. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. Ooh. Absolutely. So like I had to actually my dissertation is on the ED and like catched and breaked and all of this. Um, and so I was actually very careful and said, like, you know, some people do have this. And so I had to make sure that the parents of the children that were looking at didn't have that in their variety. Otherwise, you know, what claims am I really making? They're not going to hold up. Um, so, yeah. Um, yep. Certainly pe- adults do this. I'm, you know, you can think of any kind of form and there's got to be someone who does it. <laughs> you know, like there's just like idiosyncrasies everywhere. And I guess but I even, say that, even right? if no, but even if no adult had ever said it, right, exactly. the fact that a child says it, all that it teaches you is that there's this process the kid is going through and they get to the, you know, quote unquote, correct results. Just give them a beat. Yeah, exactly. Like uh-huh. we don't have to surveil our children. Right. Um, yeah. No. Not for and, the and NICU. Oh my goodness. Definitely <laughs> not the NICU. That is so horrifying. I know. But I know. but also like this is like as Megan has already said, like this is just such a white way of looking at the way that you know children acquire language. There's plenty of cultures where parents don't really talk to their children all that much. And do the kids learn their language? They sure do. They sure do. <laughs> And they're at the same sponges. Rate, the they're same sponges. You, they don't. Ha- you don't have to do anything. I some sometimes I think all this is is a way to sell things to middle class yes. parents. You know, like, oh, your kid's gonna be behind unless you buy this Einstein CD for them. <laughs> yeah, we had we had somebody come to my school one time, a speaker who was like, "Guess what? We have been raising children for." tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. And we've made it this far mm-hmm. without like books on how to raise a kid. Yeah. So like, Calm you're going to be fine. <laughs> Spend time with your kid instead of reading a book about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand the, the, um, the panic around it. Like if I had a kid, I think I would panic too. Like I get it, but also like, no. <laughs> yeah. But that makes it more terrifying, right? Because it's like, Everyone knows that parents panic. And so to capitalize on that is horrifying on something that is completely baseless. Um, it's horrifying. There is no language, uh, um, nothing inherent to linguistic structure that says that this way of communicating with your child is going to make language acquisition more successful. And this is how they talk about it, more successful. Um, and so you it's just screams racism to me. And I hope that when I talk about this stuff that it starts to kind of scream that to other people too, or maybe whisper, you know, at first, but it's like the claims were like outright. Like I, I was just horrified that I kept reading this over and over again, that they talked about quality input and described things like, um, you know, conversational turn taking. So the fact that, you know, even if your child doesn't really, uh, t- saying much back to you, the fact that you pretend that you're having a conversation with them is like quality input. And I'm like, what? some people don't want to pretend like they're having a conversation with a child, you know, like that's just not how they communicate or raise children. And that's fine. Um, but I keep seeing it linked to like gray matter in the brain. Like they're, it's getting well, very. Well, that's a wild claim to make. Oh, Carrie, Carrie, yeah. <laughs> And I'm not exaggerating. No, I'm sure you're not. 
yeah no it's it's just horrifying i'm so horrified by it so it's like i guess like the ultimately the point goes back to the fact that there's no language variety or modality that's better um than another and the fact that someone or all these people are trying to sell the idea that there is is based in racism um classism all of the isms that you can think of um are and capitalism absolutely yeah because they they link it to like i kid you not (laughs) the word gap is linked to like uh high school graduation rates and um home ownership in adulthood and so it's just home ownership oh my goodness yeah. Somehow, I don't know why that makes me even more angry, but I'm just all, like, all yeah, the most so important metrics. It. Yeah, right. just so obsessed with making sure that everybody is like in their little boxes on the hillside. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And uh, I'm being radicalized even more than I already am just right now. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been really uh, deep in this stuff lately. Uh, well, I guess for like years now. But it's just so absurd. And I was so mad when I read the Nick U thing. I'm telling you, this was like, I think December is when it came out. Um, I'm just horrified. And I'm horrified that they link like um, postpartum depression to to quality of language. Like What? Okay, so now they're blaming women. Yes, yes. For not talking to their babies enough. And that's what's making them depressed? Uh, no, their depression is making them not speak to their babies. Yeah, their, oh, their depression oh, okay. is making them oh. yeah. worse mothers because okay. we need to find more ways yeah. well, uh, to okay. demonize women. <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. And then I want to point out, too, that the idea that there's like a 30 million word gap that like these high, these per- quote unquote professional families speak um, more words to their children and that's good is just absurd anyway because there's no reason to equate like loquaciousness <laughs> with better i mean some people are just chatty and i don't see why that even matters from the jump um but i just have a really hard time believing that they're capturing any sort of authentic linguistic behavior um and so like there's just like you know those are two huge points that it's just not authentic it's not based in in reality you just look at like as far as chattiness goes and stuff like that like you look at my brother's two daughters and like one of them is super chatty and the other one you have to like be much more engaged with and that's they grew up in the same home anyway um (laughs) what we now need to do is go to a quick break um and then after these messages we'll be right back Hi everyone, this is Seth, and I'm the audio editor here at UVP. I wanted to let you know that you can check out our guest website and learn more in the description section of your podcast or on our website. Also, podcasting is just one branch of what we do at UVP. Find out how UVP can work with you and your organization to grow inclusion and support diversity by visiting our website ubpproject.org everyone welcome back we're here with doctors gillen and figueroa we just touched on how damaging amplifying a piece of bad i don't even know if i can call it science untruths (laughs) and lies 
uh, meant to divide and to further perpetuate uh, stereotypes um, and inequities. Um, I wanted to switch to a question. Um, what can schools and government programs do to counter this? And how could we at UPP and our listeners uh, do something to counter this false narrative of the word gap? I think that, and we on the vocal fries, I don't know if we really say it out loud as much anymore, Carrie. I think we used to like say, at least we're writing it in our book about like stopping and reflecting um, and just being thoughtful about information that you're here, you are getting about language because it's very misunderstood and it is something that is seems to be an okay area for people to discriminate in and and not saying that it is okay but it seems like even people that are really thoughtful seem to think it's okay to judge people based on their language and so pausing and reflecting on that and in moments where you know you hear something like some parents are you know communicating with their children better than others if you could just start to pause and think about why these claims are you know being said that's one place to start and it's it's good to at the individual level because there are teachers right that can just know that and be more thoughtful in the classroom um and then it can build up from there because you know there are studies also that show that um the word gap becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because um teachers will hear about it and then they will assume and the study i'm thinking of um it was with uh, latinx kids is that these kids come to school and that they're going to have less words than other kids and so they need to be given assignments or little tasks that are basically beneath them and so you perpetuate the problem by not allowing them to do activities that other children are doing um and so you know it really can be helpful at the individual level um you can just be the person that that asks other people to stop and reflect on these things um because otherwise it's not going to happen at a bigger uh you know more systemic level i just wish that governments would actually pay attention to the quality of the research that they're looking at you know <laughs> like <clears throat> they i guess they just need to hire more people <laughs> like us yeah. <laughs> who can yeah. actually read the studies and say hey <laughs> there's yeah. a bit of a problem here or the people the people at maintenance phase they really can tear apart a, a study oh, so oh boy yeah <laughs> methodology queens but um <laughs> but yeah just if governments would actually hire people who could tell them look the quality of the study isn't actually all that good so mm -hmm. maybe we shouldn't be basing any policy on this yeah and that's not like um saying that you know people aren't smart enough to just you know to read studies and get um anything from it it's that we are actually we've spent so much time with articles that are peer-reviewed and we can see the bullshit <laughs> because it, it it's it takes a lot of practice with it because these people are really good at manipulating their words to to make you think that there is like that correlation equals causation. They're really good at it. Um, and there's so many logical fallacies within it. You just have to be really practiced in it. And anyone can, you know, like you can work toward that. But 
you know, it certainly is helpful to have people that have been doing this um, because it is a, a manipulation. Uh, it really is. And as Michael Hobsworth maintenance phase would say, like, what do we not need evidence for to believe outright? And yeah. why is that? Right. So like, even with government, I think feel like a lot of people working for the government should already have this training. They should already know how to read a study. Right. At least the ones right. who are working in policy. But for some reason, <laughs> they they're not turning that part of their brain on mm-hmm. when it, when it's a study that fits their priors. So exactly. Yeah. Carrie, we just need it. more more people in government who are actually paying more careful attention to what's being produced by certain types of researchers and asking why, like, who does this serve? Yeah, exactly. And this goes back to unconscious bias, actually. So as Carrie said, they're basically trying uh, reading our reading these things and it's proving what they believed prior to reading it. What happens with scientists too, too, is that they go in believing something about Latinx kids and how they speak and their study just confirms it for them by manipulation of how they interpret the data. Um, and so there's a lack of integrity and they may not even be like, you know, atten- intentionally malicious. It's because it's already they already have an idea of what the conclusion is. And so then because of bias, unconscious bias, and then they, they so-called prove it with their data. I have to say, like, I think the responsibility also lies in our journalists because I don't think it would have mm-hmm. been such a big deal if it didn't get like, yes, put on like, a, like major, you know, broadcasting stations and major articles. And it's just the headlines that, you know, will grab you and then you run with the story. I'm I'm guilty of doing that too. Like I saw a headline to be like, oh, okay, that must be true. Moving on, right? Because mm-hmm. we're like processing a gazillion different things at the same time. But I think, you know, folks in government, folks, you know, running, you know, news and like how people are understanding information, um, you know, scientists researchers people with that are tasked with um publishers right publisher have been like hold on a minute i'm a better like this is there's something a little fishy here like and even like um a good friend of mine who is a scientist too sent me an article and like the headline was really attention grabbing oh someone's upset the headline was really attention grabbing. It was like breakthrough in how we understand, um, you know, different races and recognize, uh, you know, in faces or something like that. I forget what the actual headline was. And I clicked on it and I went to the study methods. The team studied the responses of nearly 100 white European students to FIE tests. Wow. I knew it was going to be bad the way you set it up. I'm still <laughs> shocked. That's amazing. So, uh, so I told this person, I was like, look, you know, I, they were like, I'm not sure I believe it, but this could be legit because it came from like, you know, some university in the UK or something, right? Um, and I was like, mm. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> if it's said in a British accent, it must be right. <laughs> exactly. We just talked about this in one of our bonus episodes about, you know, American idea that a British accent means you're smart. 
is really embedded. Yep. <laughs> well, so this I, is this is not even related to have to be done in British <laughs> English. <laughs> so th this isn't even related to like language or anything, but one of the headlines recently was about how we're about to have um fusion power and then when i like actually read up on it it wasn't about power it was about weapons and like none of the headlines zero of the headlines talked about that and i was like oh this is like we've been manipulated like like we're always manipulated by these things but this one just felt extra manipulative and i was just like so horrified and so angry no it manipulation is the right word and i don't again don't even know if like journalists are doing this intentionally it goes no again. i don't blame the journalists in yeah. that case it was it was the people doing the study who oh, okay. didn't bother to mention what oh, their no. actual thing was they they hyped up hey look we're gonna have like oh. all this cool free free ish energy soon don't pay attention to what we are actually looking at you know like uh it reminds me there was a there was a how i met your mother episode where they talked about like oh yeah so-and-so was working for the company that made the fuzz on tennis balls also all of these weapons of mass destruction but they wanted you to focus on the fuzz on the tennis balls. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> and it was like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple other companies, like real companies I could name about that. But um, so we've been talking about um, how, you know, these false narratives and how narratives can feed into um, government policy. But, you know, the other way, is true too, right? A lot of narrative can feed government policy. Government policy can feed uh, perceptions and and narratives and everything like that. And um, you know, one of the one of the biggest ways we have seen that, right, and especially with regards to language and things like that, is um, in in feedback cycles of narratives and government reaction. Um, and policy making with regards to indigenous tribes, indigenous peoples, um, you know, there's there's so much that's obviously happened over the course of the past, you know, several centuries. Um, and Carrie, you work with the Squamish Nation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that work? Sure. So um, right now I work with the newly uh, created Language Commission. And the purpose of the Language Commission is to support revitalizational efforts for this Kultmish Snechem or Squamish language. Um, and so I'm just like in the support, supporting role of returning the language shift. So language shift is when you shift from one language to another. And over the past couple hundred years, this, the shift has been from Skultmish to mostly english there was a little bit of french in the in the middle but <laughs> mostly mostly to, to english and uh now we want to change it back so switching sw shifting back from english to uh, maybe bilingual but like more use of squamish and so that's what i do what kind of a scale is that on what kind of a scale yeah the the community itself is around 4000 people 
I guess that would be the big target. But um, speaking more more realistically, right now we're targeting young people who are maybe in their 20s or 30s childbearing age because that's when you might have children and then you could more easily pass that the whatever language you're acquiring onto your child and then they will develop a different version of it but like a more uh rooted version right so that's what we're trying to do there's there's um a language nest which targets you know infants and toddlers um so that's also <laughs> a language nest is so this actually comes from the maori in new zealand so they are the first people to come up with this so the the sort of the conception the name it all comes from them it's like a pr- uh, daycare slash preschool and your the purpose is to only use whichever language you're targeting um, with the children so that they're learning it at the perfect age to learn a language, right? They're just sponges at that age. Um, and so it helps helps increase the number of speakers because they are so young. Um, so there is that. Um, there's not a lot of support past that, unfortunately. Like there's, there was supposed to be an immersion school that has, doesn't exist yet. School exists, but it's not immersion. Um, and so that's why we're targeting young adults, so that the, there's at least the like the parents and the children potentially who could be learning it together. And that's really important in terms of language development and. It's just talking, uh, thinking about where we're talking about the word gap and the idea of like quality language input. And it's it's so separate from that and that we we really should be talking more about this kind of work and, um, you know, propping up this kind of work instead of thinking that children that are just learning English um, in the in the U.S. are somehow being deprived or there's something wrong there. I mean, we really need to be talking about like indigenous languages and 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 this and the like right and so like there like if you're going to talk about quality of input there really all that matters is like are you actually getting like do you have access to the language because if you don't have access to the language then yeah your the quality of the input you're getting is not it's either nothing or it's not very good but if you're like surrounded by english speakers i guarantee you you've got enough quality there just by just by the speak, they're just there. That's how it works. I had this conversation. Um, so I um, speak with uh, Remy kids primarily in Spanish as much as they can. Um, and somebody overheard me speaking in Spanish to Remy, and they turn around. And they're like, "So I just had a question. Like, you know, is it like is it okay to speak other languages to?" kids like can they learn more because i because my you know uh niece you know her parents are trying to teach her i forget what the two languages were but it was it was something like banal you know spanish and english or french and or german and english something like that <clears throat> and she doesn't speak very much and i'm worried it's it's affecting her it was like <sighs> and i i i did i did thing where i'm nice and i was like not at all Here's my experience growing up. Like, I learned three languages. I have a PhD. It's fine. <laughs> and 
here's how my child, my child speaks a mile a minute. And they had, I was actually raising Remy with three languages. I was raising him with French, Spanish, and English when we were trying to get him to go to French immersion school. And, and it's fine. Um, and then I was like, you know, but what I really wanted to say is like, you do realize like the U.S. is one of like the few countries that has so many people that are monolingual. Like this is a, you, like this, you, your, your, whatever you think is normal is the oddity in here. Like this is the odd one out. And I don't see anybody questioning, you know, our, uh, you know, Swiss people that speak Swiss French and Swiss German and learn English are like, you know, having trouble with their studies or like development. Like, no. Right. There's the entire Eddie Izzard bit about, you know, Mm -hmm. the the Dutch, the Dutch speak four languages and smoke marijuana. (laughs) They're cheating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I love Eddie. Yeah. No, it's. It's horrifying. And in the U.S., it seems to be a matter of like so-called quality control on its citizens, because, I mean, we see with indigenous groups that they were sent to boarding schools with the 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 idea being that we get rid of their indigenous languages Um, because you know how important language is. Um, And the idea was forced assimilation and, and, you know, like violent assimilation and all of this. and. It's just really disgusting. And speaking of like how policy will affect how we think about language, I mean, it's horrifying <laughs> that our policies, you know, are rooted in in things like colonial colonialism and and this kind of violent eradication of indigenous languages. Attempt, attempt. Attempted. Yes. Sorry. Yes. That it didn't always work. There were some places where it did, but it didn't always work. Um, and also, like, to go back to the capitalism thing, it was explicitly to steal the land. It's easier to steal someone's land if you don't have, like, a a culture and a group of people to protect it. All right. This, I think we could probably go on for another two hours, and I'd be happy about it. Um, but it is time to wrap up the episode. Um, so to end today, um, we'd like to ask, do each of you have any other resources that you want to plug for our listeners today or people to thank or causes or or organizations to promote or anything else that you're working on that we should keep an eye out for? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, um, Carrie and I are uh, co-writing a book that is based on the podcast and it's going to be a pop book a pop side book so um it is meant to be read by all um it's like you know that's kind of our jam i mean podcasters <laughs> it's kind of your jam to try to get to as much people as you can get to um and so that will be coming out sometime and that's you know something to look forward to of course you know check out the pod too um I'm sure Carrie has some better <laughs> ideas too of what she wants to plug. Um, I would say if you're interested at all in language revitalization, you should look at where you are on the planet and see what indigenous languages 
are or were spoken around you. And maybe you can, I don't know, at least learn some things about it and it potentially support any projects going on. Um, in Australia, there's uh, what was that called? What's that called? Living, living languages, for example, they have like you can support them. Um, anyway, I don't know. I just think knowing more about the languages around you, especially the ones that were attempted to be stamped out. <laughs> uh, I think it's good just to even know. Just start there. And yeah, um, I will have some writing out soon about the so-called word gap. Um, so watch out for that. Um, and yeah. Oh, I will have writing out soon about the so-called word gap, uh, the quote unquote word gap. Um, and so that you can look out for. Um, but yeah, I second Carrie's suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank, thank you for you. having us. Yeah, thank and you for so your much. support. Hi, Alexis again with just one last ask. Do you love the podcast? Of course you do. You're listening to the outro after all. One of the best things you can do to support us is tell your friends. Ask them if you can look something up on their phone, then secretly sneak into their podcast app, find us and click subscribe. Or, you know, you can tell them about it the normal way too. Either or, your pick. We trust you. Tell your friends.